Good morning. How many of you here are kids? Can you raise your hand? Can we give it up for the kids? We are so, we're so glad uh, to have you here. Uh, I am a proud hashtag girl dad. Um, if you see a two-year-old screaming, it's probably my daughter Lucy. So we love Lucy. But I just want to kind of say, hey, we are a church that loves the wiggles and giggles. Um, we are so glad that every parent has brought their kid here, and I know that some of you are even watching online with your kids, so I just want to kind of acknowledge that. I also want to say, too, we are streaming the service um, out in the cafe, and there's a, a young child room, so just want to kind of let you all know that. As a parent, I appreciate that, so. But let's get started. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> what movie is that from? <laughs> what show is that from? Cobra Kai, our kids are here today. All right, there we go. So wax on, wax off. So if you haven't seen The Karate Kid, and I found out there's people that haven't seen The Karate Kid, you know that uh, Mr. Miyagi is a teacher of karate, and his young student, Daniel LaRusso, wants to learn karate because he doesn't want to get bullied anymore. So the way Mr. Miyagi trains Daniel in karate is he has him wax his cars. So Wax on, wax off, sand the floor, paint the deck, or paint the fence. So he has him doing this, and at one point, Daniel says this, if you're teaching me karate, why am I doing these things? It's a fairly powerful question for all of us. I wonder if that's what we think of serving in our spiritual lives. See, today we're starting a brand new series. It's called uh, Serve Like Jesus. And so some of you might be asking, hey, we're going to spend five weeks on serving. Is like the church need more volunteers? You know, is serving really going to help me grow? Maybe it's not as important as reading my Bible or praying. Like what actually happens when I serve? Over these next five weeks, wherever you are, whether you're regularly serving, whether you haven't started serving yet, we want to focus on this habit know and use your gifts. And today, what I want as my main point for you to kind of leave with is serving trains us in the way of Jesus. Serving trains us in the way of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, whether it's online or uh, whether it's on your phone or a physical Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. So as we turn there, yeah, I heard that amen. I love it. So our kids are here. Um, as we, um, as we look at this passage, I just want to kind of set it up because there's definitely some things that are relatable. So first of all, this is a discussion of James and John. They're the brothers, uh, they're brothers and they're disciples of Jesus. And Jesus is going to make a pretty powerful statement about all of our spiritual lives. And just one clue, because I know that all of us want to grow in reading the Bible, commentators and scholars will say, if you want to understand the book of Mark, just read Mark 10, 45. So let's read it together. Verse 35 says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus. They say, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do, Jesus asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup 
I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those of whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant and James, with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave or servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Serving trains us in the way of Jesus. We got a ton of kids here. Um, none of you have ever been through sibling rivalry or friendship rivalry, but that's kind of what's going on in this passage here. So James and John are brothers. Usually James and John hang out with their friend named Peter. And for some reason, they cut Peter out of the deal. So James and John go to Jesus directly and they say, hey, we want to sit at your right and we want to sit at your left hand. So there's this big word that, that the other 10 disciples become indignant. And what indignant means is they were frustrated and they were angry. Now, some of us might read this passage with more positive ideas of the disciples, but let me tell you what they're really angry about. They're not angry at the audacity to ask that question. No, no, no. They're angry because they didn't ask Jesus that first. So they're like, James and John, we're going we're gonna to play the reality show Survivor. We're going to outwit. We're going to outlast all the other disciples. We're going to make sure that we have power. And it's at that point that Jesus has to redirect. And as we see in Mark 10, 45, Jesus makes this powerful statement that we're going to be unpacking for the rest of the sermon. And he says this, hey, the Savior of the world, Jesus, the one who would come and die on the cross, did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is making a huge cataclysmic statement about serving in our spiritual lives. Number one, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. What he's saying is this, I came, I gave up the riches of heaven. I gave up all of my positional power in heaven to work a blue collar job, to serve with the down and out, to love people, to die on a cross. I didn't hold that against each other. But then the writer of Mark is making it abundantly clear this is the model of discipleship. So when we think of following Jesus, which is another way of saying discipleship, when we think about that, there's certain values, there's certain things that Jesus wants us to embrace. So this idea of grace and mercy and love and kindness and goodness. And what Jesus is saying is serving is an expression of that. Let's go back to Mr. Miyagi. So for those of you that have seen the movie, hopefully if you cover your ears, I'll think you're just, you don't want a spoiler alert if you haven't. But Mr. Miyagi is teaching Daniel karate through an indirect means, through a way that he might not think or learn. And, and what happens is, is, is Mr. Miyagi is saying, hey, I want you to learn focus. I want you to learn how to balance. I want you to learn how to kind of be in the moment. So when we say that serving trains us in the way of Jesus, there's something that happens when we serve as individuals, when we serve 
as a small group, when we serve as a corporate community, as a church together, there's something that happens when we do that versus when we don't do that. So I just want to bring two ideas from the text today that are really going to help us understand this. So the first one is this, is we confuse the values of the world with the values of Jesus. We confuse the values of the world with the values of Jesus. So in verse uh, 41, Jesus makes this very powerful statement. He says, the rulers of the Gentiles lord over you. So you might be wondering, what, what's happening? Why is this such a big deal? Well, James and John and the other disciples, they live under the authority of the Gentiles, also known as the Roman government. And so as, as James and John are thinking, they see that Jesus is influential. He's powerful. He's relevant. There's people that want to follow him. So you know what? When he builds his physical kingdom, we want to make sure that we got our spot. But as we read in the passage, Jesus wasn't about building a physical kingdom. And so what, what James and John are doing is they confuse the values of the world with the values of Jesus. So instead of the Roman government having rule over them, they wanted to have rule over the Roman government. And Jesus is saying, hey, you're, you're mixing my values with the world's values. You're, you're mixing the values of the gospel with the values of the world. You know, how often do we do that in our Christian lives? How often do we follow Jesus? And we, we begin to see that these values of love, joy, and grace, and we try to fit them in into the world together. I want to be super specific with you today. So there's an author. Uh, he's a former priest, and he passed away. His name's Henry Nowen. And he offers us three temptations and these three temptations, I think, really help us see what the values of the world is and how we kind of confuse that. The three temptations are this. Number one, the temptation to be relevant. So it's this idea for us to be relevant, that we can be appreciated by people. It's the people-pleasing one. We are what we produce. The second temptation is the temptation to be spectacular. Whatever we do, we have to do it big. It has to be so many people and the crowds need to be big. And then the last one is the temptation to be powerful, seeking influential positions. It's kind of, I, I love how Nowen puts it. He says, it's as if God needs our help to make things happen. The temptation to be relevant, the temptation to be spectacular, and the temptation to be powerful. Which one of those do you struggle with? Which one of those temptations bring you, do you confuse with Jesus's values? I think for many of us, you know, we live and breathe in this world that, that being relevant, that being spectacular, being powerful, it, it's the way we live by the likes, the subscribes, the open rates, the metrics, the numbers. We live by that. We live, hey, how can I get up the corporate ladder? How can I go from there? And, and you know, the saddest life and the saddest people that I meet are the people that have been successful and their dreams have come true and they find out it's not all it's cracked to be. I love what Nowen says, though. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. When we find ourselves able to continue to serve our fellow human beings, even when our lives remain the same, 
even when few people offer us praise, even when we have little or no power, we come to know ourselves as God knows us, as sons and daughters hidden in God's love. I want you to think about that for a moment. So Jesus says this, there's nothing too low for me. There's nothing too low for me to serve. There's no job that's too big. And he's saying this, I'm the savior of the world. We worship and we follow Jesus and he deserves all the glory and all the honor. But I don't miss this as he's saying this. Jesus lived out of the confidence in his identity. Imagine what that would be like if we could live out of the confidence of our identity to be called a son and a daughter of God. Another way to say this is, hey, we'd have nothing to lose. We'd have nothing to prove. We'd have nothing to hide. When we confuse the values of the world with the values of Jesus, what we find is we find that what the world offers is not as meaningful or as significant as we'd like. Maybe God wants more from us. Maybe God wants more for us. You know, I think one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor is I stand up here and I preach to you online and there's a number, and I could go down all three of these temptations. I'll be honest, you know, my wife's in the building right now. Um, I'll be honest with you, like, our afternoon is probably more affected and determined by how successful I did this message versus not. So I'm just being real, just being honest. You know, and I think of these three temptations, you know, the, to be relevant. You know, I am what I produce. You know, and standing up here and kind of sharing with you, hey, you know, I, I hope the message goes well. And, and there's kind of this gray area that kind of leads into temptation. Also, with spectacular, how many people showed up on Sunday? And then, you know, on top of that, being powerful. Hey, you know, I want to be individual. I want people to be able to say, hey, I never heard it that way before. And that really changed my life. And none of those things in and of themselves are necessarily evil. But there's a moment that they become more of the focus where I myself am confusing the values of the world with the values of Jesus. This is what I've done during the preparation of this message. When I was in seventh grade, there was this woman named Tina Capwell. And Tina saw me and she said, hey, uh, do you want to run slides for our worship service, you know, when the songs go up? And for those of you that, like, you see the notes come up here on stage and you also see, like, the song, like, the lyrics, like, I want to remind you, there was a time when we used Microsoft PowerPoint 1997, and so as a seventh grader, I would sit in the back, and we actually have one. We called it the crow's nest, so it's like all the way back there. And I just thought it was like the coolest thing. Like I was just pressing that arrow button. Next slide, next slide, some terrible clip art, you know. We love you graphic designers. Anyways, but here I was as a seventh grader. There wasn't the temptation to be spectacular. There wasn't the temptation to be powerful. There wasn't the temptation uh, to be relevant. There was something about serving that God was doing in that moment. I just thought it was cool. 
you know, and I just, I would watch people worship. I would watch people sing the songs. And, you know, I even did, I loved the PowerPoint so much. I would even do it later on in life and kind of in the kids programming and things like that. I have to bring myself there because there was a moment in my life and in the childlike faith of just saying, hey, I'm serving, I'm helping people. Jesus, make me more like you. That's our goal today. That's our goal throughout this series. So number one is this, we confuse the values of the world with the values of Jesus. Number two is this, serving expresses God's heart for people. Look at verse 43. Jesus makes this emphatic, loud statement. If I could read it really louder, he goes, not so with you. Now, for those of you that watch college football, you know that Lee Corso, he says, not so fast. So I guess we don't have a lot of college football fans here. So anyways... But what Jesus is doing is Jesus is saying, hey, you've seen the Gentiles. You've seen how they lord over you. You've seen how they've exercised authority. Not so with you. Not so with you. He says, whoever wants to become great needs to become a servant. And then in Mark 10, 45, Jesus makes it abundantly clear. He says, for I didn't come to be served, <laughs> but to serve. One thing I, I just kind of want to deal with, just because, you know, I think we read it as modern-day readers, and there's the word slave, and sometimes that word slave is translated as servant. And, you know, for those of us that live in America in the 21st century, it's kind of an odd word to read. And, you know, without going too in-depth, that, you know, the idea of indentured servitude, it there was still many, many wrongs about it, but it was just seen a little bit differently. But I want you to see what Jesus is saying is in a world where the one option is to use your power and authority over other people, but in a world where you can live out the gospel and serve other people, he's saying, pick service. Why is Jesus using these wording? Why is Jesus saying that? Because serving is a physical expression of God's heart for people. Serving is a physical expression of God's love. You know, why do we have a cross up there? You know, why is the cross the central figure of Christianity? Because it says that God loves you. And what Jesus is saying, you know, for the Son of Man has come to be served, has come to serve, not to be served. He's saying this, hey, I gave up my rights. I gave up my ability for power. And what Jesus did with his power was he said this, he healed people, he loved people, he spent time with people. He did that because he loved us. I know for many of you here, this idea of, of serving, you, you might wonder, does it make any difference? And so, you know, we have the habit, know and use your gifts. We also have this habit called share your faith. You know, I've met a ton of people you know, that have experienced God's love and have come to follow Jesus because someone served them really well. I haven't met a ton of people that said, man, that guy really debated me really well and I just intellectually came to know Jesus. Not saying it doesn't happen, because it has, but more often than not, I see people that have experienced God's grace because somebody, a follower of Jesus said, Hey, I'll serve you. Hey, I'll love you. Jesus is connecting 
the values of the gospel, the values of the kingdom of God to everyday life. I hope you have right doctrine. I hope that, that you learn and you grow and you read your Bible and prayer and pray. But here's something I want you to know too, is that if that does not express itself in acts of service, if that does not express itself through physical, tangible expressions of God's heart, then we're not doing it right. I love, um, I don't know if you know this, we actually have a Mark scholar that attends this church. His name's Austin Bush. And Austin actually wrote about this passage, and I love what he says. He says, James and John, they don't trust God to raise them from the dead. They don't trust God to give them new life. And so they choose to preserve their mundane life even though Jesus warns against it. If you read the book of Mark, I'd encourage you, it's one of, you know, the kind of, it's a great entry point. It's one of the simplest gospels. This is the third time that Jesus has said, I'm not here to build a kingdom on earth to overthrow the Roman government. I'm here to die on a cross and to be raised from the dead. He's very clear about it. And James and John, when they confuse the values of the world with the values of Jesus, they come in and, and Jesus is trying to say, hey, there's a better way. You can have that life if you want it. You can have the success. It won't be as meaningful. It won't be as significant. But if you want to know the true meaning of life, if you want to know and experience the good news of the gospel, be transformed by the cross. Be transformed by the resurrection. And when you do that, you serve other people. Because serving is a way of life. About a week ago, I had the honor to officiate a funeral for a gentleman from Browncroft. His name's Steve Hemming. His picture is coming up right now. Um, he is the gentleman in the red jacket, um, if you're looking for him. But I met Steve a few years ago. He grew up in Rochester, but moved to Massachusetts. And we just started to have a friendship and a relationship. And there was always a point that Steve was like, hey, someday I might move to Rochester. So in the course of our conversation, you know, during COVID, we did Rooted for small groups. And Steve kind of said to me, he goes, hey, I know I live in Massachusetts, but I want to move to Rochester. You know, I want to do Rooted. And somehow we got him to lead a Rooted group. And so this picture is actually his small group uh, from there. And I know that many of you are watching online right now. Steve said, hey, I am from Massachusetts. I'm leading a small group. You know, I can serve on our live stream team. So he even is in the, he was in the chat. He was praying for people. As I was at the memorial service, as I was with him and kind of hearing his story, you know, each person that talked about Steve they said he made time for them. He would text, he would call. He'd say, hey, hey, here's a coffee, like let's get together. You wanna know who didn't have a mundane life? Do you wanna know who served with the expression of love? Steve Hemming. When he passed away unexpectedly, there was story after story. He drove all the way from Massachusetts to be here for one of his group members who got baptized. You wanna have a meaningful life? You wanna have a significant life? It's when you give your life away. 
motivated not to get anything in return, motivated because, wow, God has loved me so much. So we're spending the next five weeks on this idea, we call it our habit, know and use your gifts. And really, what we talk about with know and use your gifts is serving. This idea that we serve with our time and our treasure and our talents. I want you to think about this. You know, some of you here, you're kind of like, should I just take the next four weeks off? I already serve. I hear that laughing. Here's why. On our four habits, none of us graduate. I hope that we're all here for these next five weeks. Because when we talk about our time and our treasure and our talents, we, we believe that God is kind of calling us to move from closed hands to open hands. God, I'll give you my time because it's really not mine. God, I'll give you my treasure. I'll give you my money because you've given me so much. And I'll give you my talent. I want to challenge you during this series you know, we're, we're not giving because, you know, the, the church is in some desperate need. We're doing this series because serving is a way of life. When we think about the doctrine of grace and the doctrine of the gospel, it expresses itself through acts of service. There's some of you that you serve regularly. Maybe, maybe the step of service is this. Maybe it's not taking another serving opportunity. Maybe it's getting to know someone around you and saying, hey, can you come serve with me? Or as I think they say in Pittsburgh, come serve with, come serve with, come with. I want to challenge you. If you're already serving, hey, who are you bringing along with you? Number two, there's some of you here. There's some of you here that you haven't really served consistently. And there might be some hesitation, fear, and intrepidation. We're going to challenge you in this series and beyond to make this a regular habit of your life because God does something in it. That's why we ask every small group to serve. I love that our small groups study the Bible. I love that they pray together. I love that they do all that. But when you're arm in arm next to each other, picking up leaves at an organization or when you're painting or when you're doing something together, there's a bond that forms. Because remember, serving trains us in the way of Jesus. It connects us to his greater vision. You know, Mr. Miyagi, <clears throat> you know, there comes the end of the, the end of the movie or the middle of the movie when Daniel LaRusso is trying to figure all this out. And Mr. Miyagi does, you know, he starts doing karate moves. And what Daniel doesn't realize is the muscle memory from doing all of those chores began to make a difference. And he was being trained more. Kids, if I'm honest, and my wife's here, there's certain chores in our house that it's not just about the chores being done, but, you know, you can read studies about making your bed or cleaning up the dishes. Like, there's certain values of responsibility, of community and teamwork that happens when you do those simple things. There's something powerful about that. We're about to go into a time of communion. And um, I can think of no greater way for us to really live this passage out than by celebrating the fact that Jesus died and rose again for us. But 
we're all going to be served by the leaders, whether they're small group leaders or elders or other volunteers here, as an expression of, we want to model this passage to you. So at this point, I'm going to call all of uh, all of our uh, sanctuary hosts and our leaders who are serving communion to come into place. Um, we're going to do communion. We're going to hand it out individually. Uh, one of our sanctuary hosts is actually going to guide you to this table. But during this time, I don't want you to think of how you're serving. I want you to think about how Jesus has served you. And I want you to really reflect on that. Let's take a moment for that.